can change the world, then you've found your humans here on this show, Architecting. My name is Angela Mazzi, and I'm an architect and career coach who's figured out how to live my passion while claiming a successful architecture career and lifestyle. This show is about the architect as a person and will help you bypass the status quo traps in our profession while teaching you how to make an impact in your career. We need to stand in our power as architects and use our skills to make great places. If you're with me, let's get architects. Hey there, everyone. Happy International Women's Day 2021. This is such an exciting thing to celebrate for the first time on architecting because the whole spirit of this show is advocacy and helping you cultivate the bravery to be brilliant. I love this year's theme, Choose to Challenge because that is really what it's all about in creative professions. I thought a great way to celebrate would be to invite women architects to tell their stories. I'm also calling them out deliberately as women's stories, not architect stories. And for me, that was a very personal thing. And that's because I've been in resistance my whole life to using those gender-specific qualifiers and felt that it was a way of calling attention to what? A limitation perceived or fake? I just didn't want to buy into it. It always made me cringe. Why do I have to be a woman architect? Why can't I just be an architect? In fact, if you were to ask me to list some words to define myself, being a woman might not even crack my top 10. It's just not a major lens through which I navigate the world. But I had to wonder if maybe my insistence on gender blindness could in fact be perpetuating some very pernicious limiting beliefs that women have about what's possible for them. Now granted, these limiting beliefs are supported by some pretty pernicious facts. We know women leave the profession at an alarmingly high rate. And while there's many complicated reasons for that, there's no denying it's a critical issue or that women are simply not in leadership positions at anything close to representing their percentage of the workforce. So these are real problems. They are real limitations. And we need to work together. And those of us that have broken through need to really reflect on how we can help others to move up. When we don't go out of our way to model how to have a no compromises career and life as women, we are not helping each other to rise. One of the things I love about the show today is this is not about the ta-da, look at me, where I am now. It's about the journey. Overcoming disempowerment for all requires leading by example. Today is absolutely a celebration of the stories of women architects in their own words. I asked each of these women to tell their story of their biggest accomplishment. What I want to highlight in each story is that you have to go beyond what this woman is doing today and understand the process it took for her to get there. 
you will see so many of the themes we study together in this podcast modeled for you through their careers. And I'm hoping that you can really relate to one or more of them. It's a big variety, so there should be a lot of opportunities for resonance. What's most important is that you see that you can do it. These are everyday architects who showed up to tell the story of their experience as women in the profession. This is architecting. This is what's possible. We're starting off with Cheryl Seiko. And what I loved about Cheryl is that she said, whatever I'm doing is my biggest accomplishment. Just that incredible presence for being in the now and being committed to her evolution. Such an amazing story. So she's had a wide variety of experiences, both inside the industry and in adjacent industries to land where she is as a mold specialist. She has helped people in ways she never thought she could as an architect and always been committed to keep learning, to be willing to take what she calls the opportunities she never knew existed. Hi, my name is Cheryl Seiko and I am an architect that has been practicing for over 30 years. I have a license for over 30 years. I am located in the Chicago area in Illinois and I have my own business now, but I have a long history of doing different kinds of projects. So I was told to talk about my proudest moment and my biggest accomplishment. And that's really a challenge because I feel like whatever I'm doing is my biggest moment and my biggest accomplishment because I keep changing and doing different things that are all so exciting. I started out in medium-sized firms, ended up at a big firm doing high-rises in a big city, uh, in the big city of Chicago, and that was very exciting. And then started having a family, and it wasn't very conducive for that to be doing the hours that I was working at that firm. And so when I started having a family, then I pivoted. And I would say pivoting is the operative word for my story, is that I pivoted to have more time with my family that then grew and grew and grew. So I built a uh, family, raised four kids. So I pivoted and started doing residential, which was very different than what I was doing when I was doing high rises. But I kept learning along the way. And uh, and then it had, took a lot of projects that I don't think that I was that proud of, but they were projects that allowed me to be with my family and take care of my family in a way that that I wanted to be present for them. And so I have no regrets about that, but I did keep my hand in the field and I kept learning and learning and learning. And then along the way, I started recognizing things about health and buildings. In fact, one of my children got sick about 16 years ago, and that would come back to define what I'm doing today. And I didn't know that at the time. So, so many things that we do and experience and our challenges sometimes become something that we can use and learn from. While I was raising my kids, we also built our own house and I did that with heavy timbers and that was very um, fun. A lot of work, a lot of learning. But again, the things that I was always learning, I was going to end up applying later. And who would, you know, how could I plan that? I didn't know. The same thing with the health issues. So my daughter uh, was exposed to mold in our ductwork in our her home in a home that we were living in while we were building our home actually. And because of our my background, I was able to figure that out. Kind of a long story of how I figured that out. Make some mistakes and learn some more. Recover her health and go on to 
keep working. And along the way, I ended up working for the wood industry in a program called Woodworks. I was a senior technical director for them and did education and training and technical support for my peers, architects, engineers, and even code officials. That, I mean, who would have, I never would have planned that. I didn't know it existed, but the opportunity became available. And this was in 2008 when the market was really challenged and my clients were losing their jobs. And so there wasn't as much work out there. And this was a actually a consulting gig for a few months that turned into five years. Then after that, um, my husband ended up getting sick again. So we had more health issues and I wasn't feeling very good. And again, realized that, okay, now that was time for me to pivot yet again and do something else. And so I originally left that job to work, to do individual consulting and basically grow my own business and have more flexibility also in, in that realm. Only to realize that some things that my I was researching for my husband's health actually was a gap in what people where people needed help and that was with water damage and mold in their buildings and the health effects that they were having and so that's connected to Lyme disease and so my husband had Lyme disease I didn't realize there was a connection but I was hearing all these people that were challenged with that issue Lyme disease and not realizing how the building was affected and so I started helping them develop my own online business so I'm voidingmold.com. Who would have thought as an architect that I'm researching day in and day out on water damage, best practice details, how to make our buildings better, consulting with architects, other architects and builders and people who are sick. And so I'm most proud of now that I, I'm helping people in a way I never thought an architect would be able to help people on a very personal level. It's challenging, uh, but it's also very rewarding. So that's my story and my recommendation to anyone out there is just keep pivoting, keep collecting your education and your knowledge and know it's all going to work out in the end it's all going to come together and do what you love follow your passions and you'll be surprised where you may end up thanks our next story comes from cinda lester who really had to take on and overcome male stereotypes including the ever popular being funneled into interior design we're going to hear Cinda's story on building a career on her own terms, taking the clients she really wants, and getting to do the work she loves every day. I'm Cinda Lester, and I've owned 1212 Architects and Planners in Downers Grove, Illinois, for 18 years. My proudest architectural accomplishment? I made it through today. I really don't mean that in a snarky, ironic, we're in the middle of a global pandemic kind of way, though that's certainly true. Like everyone else, I've worked remotely for the last year, though I've been doing it for 18, so that isn't new for me. What is new is that my kids have also been attending school remotely at home since March 13th, 2020. But who's counting, right? And with that come all of their canceled trips, concerts, games, camps, and all in-person activities. Gone. I've battled isolation, indignation, and frustration, as well as not seeing mom in her memory care facility, dealt with dad's terminal cancer diagnosis, left my family to spend his final months with him on hospice in Utah, suffered the crushing loss of his death, did not have a funeral due to COVID, spent weeks literally unable to get out of bed due to the overwhelming grief, and on and on and on. So when I say it's a huge accomplishment that I made it through today, I mean it. But I also mean it in a larger sense, in the bigger picture. I decided to be an architect at the age of five and never changed my mind. I was blessed with incredibly supportive parents who shared a love of arts and culture and architecture and a genuine passion for buildings, even if only from the libraries where my parents worked. 
My parents divorced when I was one, so I grew up primarily with mom in the Chicago area, one of the top architecture cities in the world. I spent summers with my dad, living in many states across the western U.S., so we had at least two cross-country road trips every year, and we always made sure to see every cool building along the way that we could. My great-grandfather was an architect in Chicago, so his passion for architecture was shared with me at an early age. I first really began studying architecture for a school project in the second grade. There were no famous female architects for me to write about, so I picked a building my grandmother had told me that her father had designed. It was super cool to be able to drive by and see it, touch it, and walk in it. It still is today. By junior high, I was into architecture full force, and my mother had a connection with a Chicago famous architect named Carol Ross Barney, who had her own firm downtown. It was just a few minutes of her day with seventh grade me, but it changed everything. I could see it, so I knew I could be it. At the two different high schools I attended, I dealt with male architecture teachers who both made every attempt to usher me into interior design, graphic or fashion design. One told me I had to design a dress shop for our commercial design project because that's what girls know about. While all the boys in the class got to pick any type of store they wanted. My dad went straight to the principal to get that sorted out, and I ended up designing a pretty fabulous record store. I was one of only seven females in my graduating class of 52 in the architecture department at the University of Idaho in 1996. This was only 25 years ago. That seems like yesterday and a lifetime ago at the same time. To the best of my knowledge, only two of us are still practicing architects today. After two years of grad school in urban planning, I was so thrilled to land my first architecture job at an office with three female architects on staff of 35 when I started. Within three months, two of them were gone, left to have families, and no other women were hired during my five years there. By 2002, I was licensed, and a year later, I was so frustrated with the old boys club office environment of the last five years, I knew it was time to make a change. I was newly pregnant with my first child. My architect husband had just started a new job. We'd both just bought a new car that would hold a car seat. We had one on-the-side client, and I said it's time to take a leap of faith. That was 18 years ago, and I've never looked back. Since then, I've had a son, and 20 months later, a daughter. Been through hugely varied ups and downs of the economy. Struggled every day with the mysterious work-life balance everyone talks about. We wouldn't have survived without our nanny. Had so much work, my husband was able to quit his job at another firm to work with me at home full-time three years ago. Focused on the project types and clients we really want instead of every project that came through the door. And we've completed nearly 800 projects on our own across several states. And to make things even better, our high school-aged kids are both taking art and architecture classes and looking at architecture programs for college. Way to do a mama proud. It's not all sunshine and roses to be sure, but I cannot imagine my life any other way. So when I say that my proudest accomplishment is that I made it through today, it's true. Sure, in this time of COVID, I celebrate that I showered and got out of my pajamas today. I yelled at my kid to get off YouTube during math class. I've survived a shocking and grief-filled last year. But I woke up today. Dad always said that every day on this side of the dirt is a good one. And now that he's on the other side of the dirt, I appreciate that even more. I'm a 47-year-old female architect who runs her own thriving business. I had lunch with my kids today. I laid in the sun with the dog. I designed gorgeous spaces for clients I enjoy. I did work I love. Every day that I get to do that is better than the day before and absolutely my proudest accomplishment.
Deb Belseric's story is one of persistence, and I love the way she consistently did not take no for an answer. I also loved the way that she defines being an advocate for yourself as being about educating yourself and fearlessly asking questions. When you recognize your own worth and talent, nothing can stand in your way. Let's hear Deb's story. Hi, I'm Deborah Balsarek, and I live in Easton, Massachusetts, which is south of Boston. If you're ever in the area, I think that Easton might have the largest collection of H.H. Richardson buildings in the world. So there's five buildings on the historic register. We'd love to uh, have you come by sometime. I have been practicing architecture since I was in high school, since that was my first internship, but I graduated from Rhode Island School of Design with a Bachelor of Architecture in 1992. Being an advocate for myself, for ourselves, is probably an ongoing task. I think that my dad really instilled in me the idea of persistence and not taking no for an answer. Early on, when I was in high school, when I was 16, when it was time for me to get my first job, he took me shopping and I got a suit and he was like, just get a list and go around to different architectural firms and knock on the door and say, you know, you took architectural drafting and you'd like to just be a, he called it a girl Friday, old fashioned, uh, like an assistant. Uh, He was like, tell them you'll even do it for free. Like you just want to get some experience I did that and I had to knock on a handful of doors, but finally one architectural firm said, sure, we'll take you as our intern. And they paid me too. So that was my first architectural job. You know, I did a little little bit of everything, running those ammonia blueprints, typing up proposals, a little bit of drafting. When it came time for me to go to college, I had asked that employer to write me a letter of recommendation. And one of the things that he stated for why he was recommending me was my desire for learning, which was exhibited by the endless amount of questions that I asked. I probably was pretty annoying, I bet, at times. But I think being an advocate for yourself is educating yourself and trying to be the most knowledgeable you can. And so I think asking questions is a really good way. I also think, especially as time has gone on, is to recognize your own worth and your own talent and that it has value. I remember when I went to RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, my mother-in-law telling me, RISD did not give you your talent. You brought your talent to RISD. And I think it was just a good reminder that has stuck with me, you know, that I have my talent and my creativity is something unique to me and that it has value. In terms of advocating for our profession, I think one way that we can do that is to try and stay involved, get involved. Um, I've been on the planning board in my town for too long for me to even remember. It isn't quite 10 years, but it's been a number of years. And I think it's, I think there's some saying about doing all we can in all the ways that we can and all the places that we can. And I think that that's really important. And I also think in terms of our profession, when I went to RISD, I believe it was like 50-50 men and women. But in my experience, there's been very few women in positions of power or leadership. And I think that the more 
that we can have a presence in the professional world and in positions of power, the more we can shape the workplace and the way uh, architecture evolves. And so I'm really an advocate for us balancing all of the things that women in particular balance to achieve that goal. Evelyn Lee has a fascinating story and really has committing herself to furthering the practice of architecture, not through practicing herself, but through advocacy. Her story focuses on the structure behind how firms work, the power of networking to catalyze big changes, and helping architects to find their voice. The Practice Innovation Lab she helped pioneer at a national level is one we actually used here in 2019 when I helped plan the Ohio Valley Regional Conference. So it has had a lot of impact, and she's continued to be an advocate for the profession through her work with AIA National, as well as through her website and podcast. Hello, my name is Evelyn Lee. I'm a senior experience designer at Slack Technologies, the first ever female treasurer on AIA National's Board of Directors, and the founder of Practice of Architecture, as well as a co-host on the podcast Practice Disrupted. In 2017, I was chair of the Young Architects Forum, which is an AIA committee focused on those who are licensed 10 years or less, earning the designation Young Architect. At the time, there was a lot of conversations about what's next in traditional practice and how do we evolve business models. Every five years, the YAF hosts a symposium, bringing in 60 individuals with the outcome of creating the strategic plan for the next five years for the committee. We decided to change the symposium that year, creating the first ever practice innovation lab. Using an open application process, we extended an invitation to everyone with a degree in architecture to apply, no matter what their age. We created 10 groups of six and asked each of the teams to develop a brand new business from the ground up over the course of three days. The first two days of the Practice Innovation Lab was filled with aspirational keynote speakers and innovation sprints. Many teams worked well into the night to prepare for a Shark Tank light pitch on the third day against the other teams. Some of the recurring themes that emerged included networking, data, and philanthropic approaches to practice. The energy of those three days was incredible. I felt like I was back in school again. It was really invigorating. The most meaningful comments that came out from participants was from those who are actually not AIA members. And they were really excited to know that AIA was addressing the need for practice to evolve. It was different from any other event that National had ever put on, and it has since become a model for other practice innovation labs. There have been at least five, maybe even as many as seven other regions that have modeled events after the original practice innovation lab. And the Young Architects Forum recently released a toolkit on how to run a lab if you're interested in running one on your own. One of my favorite outcomes from the first Practice Innovation Lab is that the People's Choice Award, or the winner of the Shark Tank, has gone on to turn their business idea into an actual business. Jam Collective went on to win the 2018 Charette Venture Group Business Plan Competition. Jam creates collaborative design networks by bringing together small design firms while providing a means for undertaking social impact initiatives in the built environment. Jam connects supports, and opens new doors, giving small firms the chance to act big, stay small, and do good. They have an open call for small firms to be a part of their groundbreaking initiative, so be sure to check them out at jamcollective.com. 
I'm really proud of everyone who has taken up the Practice Innovation Lab idea and made it their own, and have even gone so far as to change careers because they were inspired by it. All of the work that went into and came out of the lab has really driven the pivots that and the ideas that have developed into my website, The Practice of Architecture, and the podcast, Practice Disrupted. I left traditional practice in 2006 in search of something more, but I stay involved because being an architect is part of my identity, and I really love the bigger community created by the AIA. They are my second family, and by family, I mean it in every sense of the word. My 2009 national board class went so far as furnishing my nursery when I was pregnant with my son. Even though I am not in traditional practice, I wouldn't be where I am without the mentors, coaches, and friends that I have made within the profession. I just hope that I can continue to inspire architects to think differently so the profession and the industry remains relevant while the world continues to change. Thank you for this opportunity to share my story. What I'm loving about sharing these stories, and I hope you're seeing, is that none of these women's careers have been perfect roadmaps, straight line to success. And nowhere is this more reflected than in Jeannie Bertolaccini's story. You go, girl. Her journey through her career, especially to get licensure, reflects a tenacity that I don't think most people would have. It is truly an inspiration to see just how determined she was to prevail and what she's been able to do as an architect to expand the scope of her career and open doors for herself and others along the way. Hello, my name is Jeannie Bertolaccini and I'm a licensed architect in Bakersfield, California. I've been practicing architecture for about 33 years and licensed for five years. I'd like to share my path to licensure because I feel there are a lot of lessons to be learned from my story. I did not attend a traditional college. I attended a technical school and received an associate's degree. But because California does not require a bachelor's degree to be a licensed architect, I was able to register for the ARES. I took my first exam in the year 2002. I actually passed that exam, so I'm not sure why I didn't test again for two years later. Back then, there was no such thing as the five-year rolling clock, so I could just take exams when I had time to study. But by 2004, I was a wife and a mother of three. I struggled to find time to study. When I spent time with my children, I felt guilty that I wasn't studying. And of course, when I studied, I felt guilty that I wasn't spending time with my children. This went on for many years, 12 to be exact. At some point, I was no longer grandfathered in from the five-year rolling clock. I received a letter in the mail saying I had seven months to complete the remainder of my exams. If not, the five-year rolling clock would come into effect. I had five exams remaining, so I thought I could do it. But also back then, if you failed one exam, you couldn't take it again for six months. Of course, I failed an exam, and this meant I lost five exams due to the rolling clock. That was five exams that I had previously passed, all gone from my record. I was so distraught and frustrated. I questioned if I really needed a license to do what I do. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be for me. I knew I could continue practicing architecture, but just wouldn't be able to call myself an architect. Fortunately, this did not agree with my dream. I decided that I could not give up. In the year 2014, I heard the quote, goals are dreams with deadlines. I realized my dream of becoming an architect needed a deadline. I then changed my study habits and made it my new hobby. 
I passed all of my ARE exams in about one year. I then studied so hard for the California supplemental exam that I made sure I would only have to take this exam one time. It worked. Passed it on my first try. If you want something bad enough, learn from your failures. Don't give up and set deadlines. Once I received my license, everything changed and lots of doors opened for me. I began running larger projects in the office and having a bigger role. A year later, I was promoted to associate in the firm. The two founding principals of our firm were planning their retirement and an ownership transition. They held leadership training classes to see who would rise to the top. I'm thrilled to say I was promoted to principal three years ago. Without a license, I would not have had this opportunity, so I'm proud to say I am an owner of the largest firm in my county. I am the current president for the second time of our local AIA chapter, Golden Empire. In the 44 years of the chapter's existence, there have only been seven female presidents. I am number six and number seven. I have found by being involved in AIA, it has made me aware of the impact architects have all over the world. I encourage all women to achieve their dreams, whatever that is, because you never know what doors will open for you. I am proud every time I can say, I am an architect. Thank you very much. Our next architect, Jill Anarena Farfan, teaches us to be selective in prioritizing what you do and how you choose to do it. Jill shares her strategies for maintaining work-life balance and being an advocate for the flexibility you need to do what you love and enjoy life. My name is Jill Anarino Farfan. I am currently practicing in Lexington, Kentucky, although I'm originally from Sylvania, Ohio. I've practiced all over the country and have my licensure from the state of New Mexico. Uh, there's two major messages that I want to get across to the listener today about working mothers or working parents. Um, I think it's really important to stay in your career, but at this stage of the game and with the environment changing so much in the workplace, it's really important to not sacrifice what you're doing just to quote, have a job especially while you're caring for children. It's really important to realize that most, if not all firms offer flexibility. And that was something I learned the hard way. Um, I just took jobs just to have a job because I felt that my kids were so important and and I'm glad I prioritized them. However, I could have, I realize now that you really can prioritize both. You can prioritize what you're doing how you're working, where you're working, what you're working on, as well as being a good, responsible parent. You can do both. Um, Firms are flexible more and more. You can work from home, you can work, change your hours. And one of the biggest things that I wanna relay is that by federal law, working a minimum of 30 hours per week is considered full-time. I have had to educate employers about this. You are eligible for benefits and your status is full-time employee if you work a minimum of 30 hours. Um, it might not be what they prefer, but it is the law. And I think that as working parents, working mothers especially, they need to uh, know that they don't have to sacrifice what they're doing or how they're doing it. And, and just to stay in your career. Stay focused on the career, do what you love and enjoy. 
Thanks. Leslie Ellsworth tells the story of how she fell back in love with architecture after being burned out working at a mid-sized firm. I love her journey of how she not only went on her own, but began to grow her firm and deliberately hire women architects and forge dynamic partnerships in the community to supplement the expertise in her firm. Hello, my name is Leslie Ellsworth, and I am a practicing architect in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. I have been practicing in the profession for 15 years now, and I worked as director of design at Midsize Firm for many years, and I think one day I just woke up and thought, I think I can do this better, and also prioritize my family. So I started my own firm, figured I'd be a one-woman shop, I'd done commercial my entire career, so I thought I'd try residential. And that lasted for about three weeks before I had a restaurateur hire me to do their new restaurant in town. And that one did well, so I had more follow. And the next thing I knew, I couldn't be a one-woman shop. I had to hire others. My partner was also my husband. He came and joined me. And then we just got more and more projects. And now over the years, I have brought on some absolutely amazing young women that have so much to offer uh, through their own life experiences, through their talent as designers, as project managers, as communicators. And I have just been really blessed to have them. I've also met really interesting people, clients, developers, contractors, local artists and fabricators that have enriched our output as, as a design firm, but have also kind of rounded out my understanding of and approach to the profession. So this has all been a wonderful experience and, and ride to be on, although it was a little terrifying to take that step in the beginning. If you were to ask me what my greatest professional accomplishment has been, I think there's a lot more time <laughs> to come across that. But as of right now, my, my greatest accomplishment was, was taking that jump into the unknown and not just relying on myself, but opening myself up and trusting, surrounding myself with people that I could trust and rely on, and as a result, become a better architect and a better manager, all while I'm still enjoying and having wonderful time with my two children and my wonderful husband, wonderful supportive husband. And all of this has made it possible for me to fall back in love with architecture, which is where I started. So yeah, that's me, and that's my abbreviated story. When I heard Marcy Rhodes' story, I could so relate. I, too, went to architecture school with no prior background and felt like I was already behind because apparently everybody else had at least done some kind of summer program first. Marcy does a great job talking about how she persevered in those times, despite others trying to tell her to steer away from being an architect. She realized her dream. She made it her reality. And from that place of resilience, learned when she had to make her dreams a priority because they mattered more. Hi, my name is Marcella Abadi Rhodes. I'm an architect in Dallas, Texas, and I've been practicing on my own since 2004, about 17 years ago when my daughter was born. So my biggest achievement, 
I wanted to tell you a story that I believe makes me the kind of architect that I am today, makes makes me who I am today. And that is my my stint in at my graduation from the University of Texas at Austin. I graduated in 1991 from the University of Texas with a Bachelor's of Architecture. And I remember my very first semester was very difficult semester. I was I was one of 300 students and wasn't as prepared as my peers. Some of them had come from high schools that, that focused on architecture, and so they had a lot more experience than I did. Um, and I, you know, didn't understand everything there was to know about building models and designing, etc. Of course, it was my first semester. <laughs> so I remember my several professors wanting me to stop the program and go somewhere else. And they would tell me, maybe you should go to interior design. Maybe you don't have the right eye for architecture. Maybe you don't have the right, you know, vision for architecture. And I didn't really understand that. I just got there. How do they know? Um, you know, so I, I remember not being, there weren't that many women when I was in my first year. Um, there were, you know, some, some, but not very many. And I just, you know, chalked it off as well. These people don't know me. They don't really think women can be architects. Okay, so I didn't believe them. I kept going and I struggled and I didn't let them get to me, even though sometimes they would. And I remember critiques where we would put our work on the wall and they would blast mine and, um, or maybe they would ignore it completely. But I didn't let that dissuade me from my dream. My dream, since I was seven years old, was to be an architect or a nuclear physicist, one of the two. <laughs> but architecture was my dream and I wanted that to be my reality. And so I worked really hard. We started with 300 kids and graduated with 30. Just 10% of the people survived our architecture school. And it made me resilient. It made me persistent. It made me know that my dream could come true if I worked hard enough. And so I, you know, didn't let that dissuade me. And I went off to the workforce in a very difficult year. It was 1991 when the recession was still in place and there weren't that many jobs for architects. Um, and I also didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't have any experience. So that was difficult. But I, again, I kept on trying. I sent out resumes. I went to many, you know, interviews. I eventually got my job and I eventually noticed that I'm a very good employee, but I'm a much better employer. I'm a much better boss than I am a uh, employee. And so I had all these ideas and all these wonderful things that I wanted to do. And I kept getting reminded that this is not a body architecture. It's the firm that I'm in. And so I had to go on my own because it was it got to the point where I couldn't make my dream be their dream. So I went on my own when my daughter was born. And I believe that everything that happened to me throughout my career was because I was persistent and persevered and graduated from the University of Texas. Today, I am a fellow of the AIA. I have my own firm. I am a accessibility consultant. I have people that work under me and I am trying to make this a better place and know that because I was determined and 
didn't let anybody's opinion of me hinder me was what I made my biggest achievement today. So I hope that somehow helps other women to know that their dream can come true. Thanks. Michelle Grace Huddle is someone who has just soaked up life experiences and forged a career on her own terms. Be sure to check out her blog about all the hats she wears. She's also chronicled the stories of other architects, including impacts of the pandemic on practice. She continues to evolve, and her next chapter just might involve transitioning to the developer side of things so she can have more control over her projects. Hi, my name is Michelle Grace Hoddle. I'm from La Mesa, California, which is San Diego. I've been practicing with my own firm, Michelle Grace Hoddle Architect, for almost 27 years, and I've been working in architecture for about 38 years. I grew up in Dormont, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Pittsburgh, and I've always had an interest in drawing and painting, even from a young age. When I was in the first grade, an art teacher asked me to come over to her place and um, take art lessons on Saturday. So I decided to go into architecture school during the eighth grade when we had to choose um, three occupations. Three occupations I decided were architect, artist, and drafter because um, I was not very good in math. So I didn't know if I'd be able to do the classes or not for architecture school. And I didn't know whether I'd be able to make any money at art. So I took um, an art class in ninth grade in high school, but decided to go into a drafting class for 10th grade. And that, um, I was only, you know, one of about two or three other girls in the class. Um, and then I took art classes at the Art Institute on Saturday mornings. Then I went to technical school half a day after high school for 11th and 12th grade. And um, in 12th grade, the guidance counselor asked me what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an architect. And uh, she said that there weren't any local schools that would accept me because I didn't have the math. But, you know, I said I was moving to California to go to school, which which I was. My mother and stepfather had moved out to California the year before. I started in, in a community college, and my teacher was uh, Therese Whedon, and she was from Poland, and she had, you know, worked in Paris and New York, and she was a great inspiration to me. I got a job in an architect's office uh, in my second year of architecture school there, and then I transferred to Cal Poly Pomona. I was accepted into a program that was in Copenhagen to study architecture and social housing there, and so I was able to go and live in Denmark for a year and study there and travel around Europe, and then I graduated in 1988 uh, minus the college algebra um, and then I worked in uh, Venice Beach for other architecture firms, uh, and I got married at age 26. And then um, I was working for a structural engineering firm when I got pregnant, and I had the baby about four months before I turned 30. And when I had her, I decided to start my own practice because I wanted to be with her. You know, I liked I liked taking care of my kids and making my own schedule and, you know, taking the clients that I needed or wanted to. And 26 years later, you know, I'm still doing it. I started writing a blog about six years ago. It's called I've Never Met a Woman Architect Before. And it's kind of the trials and tribulations of being um, 
a, a woman, a, a wife, a mother, an architect, a public servant, um, and last but not least, an architect. So, so about three years ago, I decided to start doing uh, oral interviews with different architects. So I have uh, about 30 of them that I've, I've kind of compiled in the blog. So those different blog posts, there's a lot of, or, and then the past uh, year during the pandemic, I've kind of been doing a working from home series during the pandemic, just asking people about how, you know, asking different architects how they're practicing during this time and kind of different, you know, things that we can do to our home, you have virtual vacations. And then, you know, I, I'm still thinking, you know, about what I want to do in the future. So um, I'd like to do design build for residential uh, multifamily and mixed use projects. And I'd like to do that on my own with my own you know, kind of development company. And I, you know, I still think about working for other, for other opportunities, but, um, you know, now that the kids are older, but, um, you know, I'm going to plan the, try to plan out the next 10 years. And I'm interested in seeing what the future is going to be like for me as a woman architect. Thank you. Sarah Ann Logan's story involves a lifelong quest to link design with place and universal experiences. She maintains work-life balance by surrounding herself with people who'll be honest and listening to herself, which I think is so important when she feels overwhelmed. She gives so much great advice in this story about how to manage stress, balance problem-solving, with creativity and shares how that helped her forge innovation in modular construction and think about how that can be leveraged in the housing market. My name is Sarah Ann Logan, and I've been in the architecture field now for over 17 years, even though at times it does feel like longer than that. I've been fortunate to practice across the country, um, from Boston to San Francisco to Texas, and I've had firsthand knowledge of contextual design and how it is at home or it's rooted in a specific place or even a specific time. But at the same time, I believe that good design taps into these experiences and isn't rooted in any specific place. I've been asked a lot recently about balance, and I find myself constantly thinking about how to make time for family, work, and self. And I ask if there's something I could have done or told the younger version of myself a long time ago that would somehow have changed my life or changed my habits now. But unfortunately, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that there's an easy answer. Um, to be successful at anything, you have to give it your focus. And with our ever-growing te technological infrastructure, it is easier than ever for a personal life to take the back seat. So for what I do, better or worse, um, I try to sur surround myself with people who will tell me when I'm wrong and when I need to stop or whatever other advice I need to hear at the time. And I also have learned to listen to myself when I feel like I need a break or even if I can see myself potentially hitting a wall soon, I try to stop. Weirdly enough, another thing that I do is I, I try to be silly or laugh or creative or break out in a song or dance or whatever strikes my fancy at the time. Um, as somewhat of a stress reliever, but also to just get out of my own head. 
in this profession that relies as equally as it does on problem solving and creativity, I find those to be at times diametrically opposite. So it helps always to try to incorporate a little bit of one in the other. Uh, And that's to keep myself from going down a rabbit hole. I also ask myself now, you know, what 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 achievement am I particularly proud of? I would probably start off with my current position as vice president of design at, at volumetric building companies. Uh, VBC is the first vertically integrated volumetric modular construction company, and we're building the future of housing. So this is a lofty, but also a humbling task. And we approach it with industry-leading diversity, out-of-the-box thinking, technological strategy, and strong leadership. And this is probably the largest scale achievement that I've done to this point in my career. And it wraps up most of my architectural and construction loves under one umbrella. So it's efficient that way for me. And I'm also quite proud of what we're doing to advance not only everything in the modular space, but how we are doing it and how ethically we're doing it and how diversely we are doing it, which is really also very important to me. At the same time, uh, I do want to acknowledge the tough times that parents in general have had in this COVID era, having to become educators and still trying to provide for their families. I see this in our company, which is only sped up during the pandemic. And I know all of the additional stress that is put on our leaders, our employees, and specifically our mothers. And the fact that we're all helping each other get through this, I think, is a massive achievement that we all deserve a pretty hefty pat on the back for. Me personally, with the loving help of my husband and my personal support system, we are trying to raise a well-adjusted three-year-old, which is also difficult in any even if there wasn't a pandemic happening. (laughs) So I look forward to 2021 with a renewed sense of um, positivity, positive outlook on work, on the world, and on being a mother. Mm, Just so many great stories shared in this podcast today. And I am so excited to bring this level of diversity but also how much similarity there is in everyone's story. I heard themes like feeling you can't achieve work-life balance working for someone else, or that you can't shape change because no one will listen. So many women are going off and starting their own firms for just that reason. We heard how our onerous licensing system can actually be punitive towards women who often are the ones doing the bulk of childcare, and that there's still persistent guilt about spending time with work over spending time with family. I was also shocked that so many women had been discouraged from pursuing architecture and told to pursue more stereotypically women's professions. As we celebrate International Women's Day today, that choose to challenge theme has been lived by the women who shared their stories today. They have shown us firsthand how to think differently about what a career can look like, what it means to have the courage and willingness to craft for yourself the career that others told you wasn't possible. I hope you all leave super inspired to know that your dreams are worthy of your attention, your energy, 
and your persistence and to know that if you believe in yourself, everything is possible. Thanks for being part of this episode of Architecting. If you enjoyed the show, join our community on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn to keep up with what's in the show pipeline, including a behind-the-scenes look at my architecture lifestyle. Feel free to share your content ideas. Love to hear your feedback. You can also visit architectingpodcast.com to download free career content and learn about my classes, book, and coaching programs. Until next time, stay inspired. (laughs) 